a nice, cool morning it is. And that rain, I was so happy that it, it, it rained a little bit last night. I had just yesterday, I had gone around and put uh, some fertilizer around all of my hostas because it gave them a little boost, you know, and, and yes, it says to water yes. it in. So I had taken and watered some of <laughs> it in, but this rain's going to be perfect and the lawn is greening up. My daffodils are blooming. Oh my goodness, it's beautiful out. And guess what? If you're a bird lover, the robins are out on the yard and they're pulling up worms. Oh my gosh, because the worms make the, or the, the rain makes the worms come up and there they yes. go. Yes, it does. You know, uh, every night, but by the end of the day, I usually go out and make a little round around my yard and check to see if I left and if I left the greenhouse door open or if I left tools out or or whatever. And then first thing in the morning, I grab a cup of coffee and sometimes I even go out in my pajamas and robe to check and see what has changed. And this morning, I did dress warm because it was cooler. I went out. And this beautiful mock orange bush, which I have been waiting for it, for the buds to break and open up, this morning it, it, it had happened. It was, just, it was just covered with green. I mean, how could that little bit of rain induce those buds to open up? And, it, and now these are the leaf buds. These aren't the flower buds. But it's, here you had something that was just stark yesterday and dark gray and black and today it's covered with little specks of green you know the promise of of a whole summer full of delightful leaves and flowers and the bees absolutely love it so what a what a great thing this rain brings to us well speaking of bees I am so excited. Last night, I found a rusty patch bumblebee, and I don't know if you know, but they are the state yes. bee, and they are going extinct. And so we are working to see how we can save them. I was working around the hosses and, you know, pulling some of the grasses and the dirt and, and things around, and all of a sudden, this little bzzz, and was on my glove, and I looked at it, and I thought, oh my gosh. So I went inside and, and looked it up and it was still on my finger because I think I must have woken it or something. But it was just sitting there and I showed my husband, I showed my sons and it was a rusty patch bumblebee. And that is wow. so exciting to see because that means I've got some things that obviously they like in the habitat. And uh, one of the things I'm doing, I received this grant uh, from a program, uh, Lawns to Legumes, to actually plant uh, plants that attract the rusty patch bumblebee because it's um, they're they're crucial for our gardens for the orchards woodlands and wetlands because they are really important pollinators uh, you know in in many many plant species yes. so yes. they're so important to protect <clears throat> but over the last two decades that that rusty patch bumblebee has disappeared from most of its original range range so I was just so excited I couldn't even hardly contain myself I know that's that's you know, these unintended consequences where you're not looking for something and you find it and you just think, oh, you know, nature is so wonderful. Let's do everything we can to protect it. We, you know, it, generations to come, when our children say, or our grandchildren, or our great-grandchildren say, you know, why didn't you do more? You're going to have to have a good question. You're going to have to have a good answer for that, you know. And you can say, I remember when I put in these plants just specifically because they were for the pollinators. And in today's free press, it says that um, uh, globally, 
We've lost, we're losing 1% of our insects a year. And in Minnesota or in the Midwest, we're losing 4% per year. So we need to do everything we can to save habitat, to reduce our don't use chemicals, uh, just anything that you can do. Every single day, think, you know, what what can I do now? What can I do for for our pollinators, for our, our wildlife, not the deer? Now, that's a different question here. Right. But, well, the, with the with the the bumblebee, you know, I thought, why would it be in my yard? And because I plant flowers that bloom very early, and that's the thing you need them uh, to plant. So you you figure out so they have that food source available. So you plant for the all season long. <laughs> so I've got a lot of things that are out already that have they're able to use for for their food and. And they emerge early in the spring, and it's one of the last species to go into hibernation. So that's why it needs that constant supply and diversity of flowers blooming throughout the colony's long life of April through September. So I'm so excited uh, and going to be planting more to hopefully keep them uh, strong and, and get them to come back. Yeah, it, it, that, you know, having something all season long, that is such a great thing. You know, these blood roots that came up. I probably have, at any given time, maybe 40 blooms going. I have them in different parts of the yard. I have them in a shady area. I have them in a sunny area. And so right alongside, you know where my greenhouse is? Mm -hmm. Well, when I go by the rain barrel and go back there, I have quite a patch there. And I can see these little things flying around, but they don't stop long enough for me to decide what it is. But I think, oh, well, this is a good sign. They're collecting pollen here. And so I'm just going to keep doing that. And, you know, we've lost so much of our wildflowers that would normally be growing in the woods. So maybe this is something that they're adapted to and something that they prefer. So if you can have someone share, if they've got wildflowers and get those in, Boy, that is a great idea, especially, well, like you say, these early, What you know, because there's very, there's very few things in bloom right now that they would be after. I don't think that they're after tulips or, or, or daffodils. No, and, and that's one of the things they recommend is use native plants, things like asters, like bee balm, native prairie <clears throat> plants, and in spring ephemerals, and things like that, and also blooming shrubs like nine bark. I know I've got a bunch of those, and even pussy willow, which I know you have. Yeah. And it also talks about their natural landscapes, like where do they grow? And I was wondering, why did I find it in my, my hosta garden? Well, they build nests in undisturbed soil, so I haven't really done much, you know, with that garden. And it's, it's sort of just there, the, the plants grow. And they also live in abandoned rodent burrows or grass clumps. And so it recommends keeping some unmowed brushy areas and tolerate bumblebee nests if you find them and reduce tilling soil and mowing where bumblebees might nest. So that's where I think they were kind of because I haven't done anything in that area. I mean, I've got plants, but it was just a, a nice place for them to, I guess, burrow. Well, that's really good advice for all our listeners, too. You know, we always want to clean up areas and make <clears throat> things look just so pristine. But that's not what our pollinators need. They need things to be natural. And actually, it's easier to keep things natural sometimes than it is to keep them uh, cleaned up. But there you know, is that part where you need to tolerate because not everybody likes that more messier cottage look. Yeah, and I guess 
um, you know, um, you have to uh, restrain. You have to. You can't get so carried away that you look like um, <coughs> I don't know abandoned lot or something that's yeah, just yeah, weed a tumble down kind of yeah yeah place. Yes, you can well, make it look attractive. You you really can. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I was uh, up to good counsel yesterday, Dave and I, and I planted. 12 heels of potatoes. Oh, good for you. Yes, and uh, this year I planted a new variety. It's a red potato, and it's it's got almost um, a yellowy fresh insi- flesh inside. And it's just a, it's a beautiful potato in, its, in itself. And planted them up there. I'm going to see how well they do. But uh, we also, when we're up there, I brought up my hoary, hoary knife. I love my hoary hoary knife, Barb. Oh, oh, it couldn't. You know, here's the thing. I don't use that every day, but there are specific jobs, and I'll tell you something. We all have this problem. When uh, Good Counsel had to reduce, or they had to replace a a water spigot that came up out of the ground because there was broken pipe. Well, that was right by the first 10 feet of my garden where my garden starts and they told me you know we're going to have to pile some soil on here and then we'll take this back off again we'll level it out well you know when you go down and you're digging out a water pipe and you're throwing this stuff on top of the soil you get a lot of weeds coming up with oh that. boy anytime and you disturb the soil you're you're basically bringing all the weed seeds to the top so yeah yes and one of the things that was a result of that are um the, uh, uh, the the grassy kinds of of, of, of weeds, and so I, I had some um, uh, peonies that were planted along this border up there, and bless their heart, the peonies they never missed. We raked that stuff off from there. We uh, we gave them a little bit of fertilizer, and they just took right off. But this year. They are just loaded with quack grass. Oh no, this, that's hard to get and rid it's of. Got long roots on it, but and it gets it gets in among the stems. But you know what works really well for this is that hoary hoary knife because yes. you can make a slit with that, and and you can control if you're trying to use a uh, a spading fork or something, you're going to damage the roots. And this way. Uh, you can loosen the soil up. It's it's kind of like using a pick. And you go in and you loosen up that soil. And you, if you don't pull hard, you can pull that long white root mm-hmm. right out from among those uh, roots that are on the peonies. And that, I just sat there on my hands and knees and I dug and dug. And pretty soon I had a, you know, I had a fairly good sized pile of that stuff. But you know, that was so satisfying and that was so easy to hang on to that hoary hoary knife and just follow those roots along and then I went along the edge and where the grass starts that they mow and there was still quack in there and I dug out that also when I got all done I just felt like this was the best thing I could have done today was to get rid of this and that is the best tool now if you can stand up and you can and you have an open space you can use a spading fork that is great but if if this this terrible 
we begins getting into your uh, roots in that. You can't use a spading fork. You have to use something small like this. And, and I can certainly recommend that hori hori knife. Because well, it's, it's not going to sever the roots either. I did the same thing with... Out at the the lake house, there were some beautiful lilies that I hadn't planted that were there before we came, but the quackgrass had invaded them. So I did the same thing, took the hori-hori knife and dug way down. I actually had to take the bulbs out because they were so intertwined. So I took those, those, and it's early still, so it's a good time to do it if you're going to move something. So I took those bulbs out and then I got rid of the quackgrass and then I replanted them. Uh, elsewhere, but that way I was able to get that grass. Otherwise, they were just so intertwined, there's no way you could pull them, because every time you pull a quack grass, you're breaking it off, and then it sends yeah. more shoots up for more plants, weeds, yeah. that is. And that's the thing. Besides going deep, they also go horizontally. Yes. They spread out, and they they can go a long distance from, from where they originally started. They can easily go 18 inches and start again. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, stay on that. That's a problem that if you don't keep up with it, it can be really disastrous to your garden. For sure. And and the other thing I've, I've been doing is I actually, you know, I've got my raised garden beds. I love my raised garden beds. They're 18 inches deep. They're made of that uh, metal, uh, corrugated metal. And mm-hmm. I, this year, have added irrigation to each of them. Um, and it's basically, it's a hose. It's like a soaker hose. It came in a kit that I got from the, the metal garden bed company. And I had them last year, but I thought, oh, it's too complicated to do. And I looked at the directions, and I looked, and it wasn't even that complicated. I mean, the directions were not clear. I think that's why it seems so complicated. So I'm going to see how having this, um, these irrigation on my in my garden beds will work this year, because otherwise I was kind of hit and miss with getting it watered. And so yeah. I think this will make a big difference, including Grant's lily gardens, because Grant wants to bleed. My son wants to. Uh, breed lilies and I put it um, so he's going to have a couple of the garden beds for his lilies to make sure that they're successful as well. Karen you know this this past week uh, when we had the snow uh, and the the snow melted it went down into the gutters and then the gutters go into my rain barrels and uh, I had so I had this snow melt in my rain barrels and I used that uh, to water with but uh, when I do fertilizing in the spring, I use a water-soluble fertilizer, mm-hmm. that, and I use it at half strength. So I have, like, I suppose it's a three-gallon um, container that I use it's, uh, for watering vegetables and things. It has a nice spray on the end of it, and I drained that whole barrel this mm-hmm. week. I now, believe it. Wasn't you don't know how full it is. You you know, there's no way of looking to see exactly how full it was. But that was so great. And because it was, uh, we had warm days, it had warmed up, it was it was really perfect. So I took it out, and I greeted my plants who were coming up, and I gave them their, their first little bit of uh, fertilizer. And, you know, they've all grown. They look just absolutely great. Well, now we should talk about people who are wanting to plant tomatoes and things because I know that the greenhouses have are going to be having those things very soon. And I did get a couple things that I didn't start myself. I got some cauliflower, the purple cauliflower, because I think it's really cool. And I did plant that because that's one of the coal crops, which can stand the, the cool air. And my peas are up and I've got radishes up and, and lettuce and things like that. But it's still way too early for tomatoes and peppers. I want to make sure that we emphasize that because I think because we had a, you know, almost 70 or whatever degree day that people think, well, it's time to put the tomatoes out. 
And it, not only the tomatoes, but it's too early to plant the string beans. Um, you can plant peas. You'll be okay with that. But string beans, no. Uh, also, cucumbers, no. Squash, no. Pumpkins, no. Those things need to go into warm soil, and it needs to be warm for them to germinate. I think, isn't it six, at least 60 degrees to the soil, and the soil's not that. I don't know if you did your thermometer thing. Have yep, you tested? It's 48 degrees. Still right too now. too cool. And how about a lot of times uh, people get those those uh, flowers. I see they're selling baskets of flowers and things like that that you can, you know, hanging baskets, and they look very pretty, but I still think it's too early to put those out as well. Well, you know, um, there's a neighbor up here, and they've got hanging baskets of ferns. That's such a beautiful, you know, it really is a lovely plant. And even if it doesn't freeze, they don't do well. Those are tropical things. You ju- you just don't they they don't they don't tolerate these cold nights. So if you want to buy something, um, then protect it. Uh, keep it, you know, put it. If you've got a shady window or something like that, or window in your garage or something, you know, get plenty of sunlight, mm-hmm. but leaving it out all night isn't a good idea. No, no. And so I have started some of the uh, container plants because I want them to, you know, look fuller when it gets time to put out, but they're in my sun porch, so they're staying nice and warm. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. That's one thing. If you buy tomatoes or peppers um, in a four pack or a six pack, you can put those into the next size pot, and they'll do really well. The roots will grow and spread out. May 15th is really the recommended date mm-hmm. because it's the last frost. But even at that, if it's still cool at night, tomatoes and peppers don't like those cold nights. I'll wait till the end of the month to put them out. There really isn't uh, a big rush. If if it takes 90 days, you still have 90 days. You're going to get, you know, really nice tomatoes and really nice peppers. Although when it's this warm out, it is hard not to just say, oh, I'm just going to do it. It really is hard. Well, here's what you can do then, and especially if you like to experiment a little bit. um, Then take at least a two-gallon container or a three-gallon container and plant one or two there in a container uh, keep it where you can move it in at night or protect it more, um, and, and, and that will work for you. Or if you don't want to do anything, if you want to just see, well, does this really work, then don't do anything. Just keep it in, the, in that container and water it and give it some fertilizer, and you're going to have to put a support in there because it's going to grow, and, and you can do that. Sometimes I know it's hard for me, too, but here's what I'm doing right now. I'm digging perennials, things that have gotten too big. Um, I have a border around my perennial bed, and that's uh, with paver uh, bricks, and things get too close to that, and that's not good. So I'm digging, I'm replanting, I'm starting a container, a big container, where I just directly plant some of these divided perennials in there, and uh, I'll move them around in my garden, and if we get an opportunity, we, we would like to, as master gardeners, we can't have our own plant sale, but if we can cooperate with someone else and we can donate plants, then some of those nice plants would go there as well. Well, Barb, I've got your uh, some of your 
lilies, daylilies that you want. I was going to dig up, but then I, I realized you shouldn't dig up your plants until you've really got a hole to put them in. So I better fo- coordinate <laughs> yeah. with you before I, before I do that. Do you know what? The front yard where I would have loved to have put them, the deer are eating the daylilies. They're eating them down to nothing. Barbara, you know what I found that I have not had the deer problems this year? I have been putting malorganite around everything, and that is what I am reading on the American Hostess Society. Of all the people that have deer problems, they've been putting malorganite around everything, and, and that has worked. And do you know what malorganite is? Well, of course. It's uh, it's poop. <laughs> right, but it's, I mean, actually it's microbes that have been filtered out from human waste in milwaukee that that's one of the oldest fertilizer companies but it and it does have a smell to it but man i i encourage you to go get a bag of malorganite put it around there and you watch and you see uh what what happens because i have just been amazed because this spring i just said i'm not i don't want them to eat my tulips and i they have not eaten my tulips or my my other things so (laughs) Um, and malorganite is also a fertilizer, and it's the kind, since it's uh, organic, it doesn't burn, you know, right. like some uh, chem- commercial sure. uh, fertilizers do. And it also d- deters some of those uh, creatures. So I would say go for it. And it, it's not like really bad, stinky, you know, sometimes if it gets wet, it gets a little smell, but I don't really notice it. Right. Now, Karen, what is the uh, uh, breakdown of the uh, nutrients in that, what the the phosphorus, potash, and and uh, nitrogen. Is it high in nitrogen? It's a six four zero. So six nitrogen, uh, four uh, phosphorus. phosphorus, and zero potassium. Yeah. So I mean, it's <clears throat> not it's not really super strong. So the nice thing about that is, is then you know y- you put it on, and it's not like I said, it's not going to burn. So if you had just a you know uh, a daylily. And, you know, it's, it, if you look at the base, it's probably the size of, oh, let's say, two quarts or something, two quarts size like that. How much would you put there? Would you put it beyond where the uh, greens are going to go? Or Barbara, it- I sprinkled it everywhere around the plants. I, I mean, I did it around my hostas. I did it around everything. And it also it has a, a decent amount of iron and it which also gives you that nice green look so it says another popular nutrient found in malorganite um it produces that green so if you put it on your grass it'll help to green it up and uh you know it's it's that's the cool thing about it is it is it's yeah. not gonna burn so i put it all around and i didn't even worry about how much so i mean yeah. i'm going to i'm going to get a bag of that i'm going to have that handy because um i'm ready to take to try anything especially that's organic you know i don't oh, want yes. to be using some of these um really nasty things that live on in the soil and kill all the microbes and things like that but i'll, I'll try that and and we'll see I, you know i would think that on a daylily um if you look at the blade of a daylily that is coarse wouldn't you think that the deer would be eating grass and other things and not daylily. But they're see? the but you know when they come up they're just so it's like a little uh kind of the the freshest the newest it's sort of like a new yeah. green so that new one is sort of I mean when they get when they get usually longer or older they they're a little tougher so I think it's just the gentle or the, the they're just so soft, supple you know to eat it's kind of that <clears throat> delicate. Well, I, think, I think they've eaten them off twice now. Oh no. Yeah, yeah. So when they first came up um 
they, they only let them get, you know, just so that they can start munching on them again. They keep coming back. So uh, they just, like, mow them off. Okay, well, go get your, you can even use this malorganite in your yard. And I wanted to read how they make it so people, you know, because people say, oh, it's made of, of poop. Well, it is made of sewage. And in Milwaukee, they've been doing it since 1926. Basically what it is, it's heat dried pellets of once living organisms used in water reclamation. So basically they take the the, um, the water out and then they, it's clean. So the water's clean and they can <coughs> reuse that. And then they take these little microorganisms and they heat dry them. And then you'll get this great source of nitrogen and, and fertilizer for your, your yard. Wow. Well, that's, that's on my list. Uh, I was just going to remind people that you know, we're wearing masks now if we go anyplace. Yes, we are. Well, it's also good to wear your face mask when you're gardening because right now the pollen count is very high for trees and weeds and uh, molds, and especially those molds. And now we had a little rain again, so that will activate that. But uh, it's very high for all three of those. And later on, uh, we, get mold, uh, we get pollen off from the grass. So if you have a mask, uh, don't hesitate to wear it outside because pollen can also be very hard um, if you have breathing problems. Well, the other thing they recommend, and, and Shane Bajega, our extension agent, talked to me about this, and that's why I have an N95 mask is because this is what he told me to get before all this uh, COVID stuff happened, was because when you're working with potting soil and things like that, the dust and things is not good to breathe in. So wear a mask when you're working with those sorts of things as well with with the the uh, dry you know, you're soils absolutely right as a matter of fact i have been diligent about reading the label on everything on all the potting soil or well, any anything that i'm buying now i'm i'm reading labels i want to know country of origin and uh, that's like on foods but on these potting soils and things like that uh, it, and it will say use gloves when you're handling this yes well it may not tell you what's what it's made up of or what it's been treated with but when they say wear gloves believe me you should wear a mask too yes because you're going to be getting uh particles coming up off from that and fumes coming up off from that right and those little particles breathing and they're so fine you so don't even notice them that's my whole thing but that, um, that i've gotten used okay. to wearing a mask now and I always wore one when I was in Georgia because of the pollen being so intense there. Sure. And once you get used to that, it's just kind of like putting on a pair of gloves. You know, you want to protect your hands. You also want to protect your respiratory system. So, so that's, that's a good deal. Well, anyway, we but, are just about out of time here, Barbara. That, uh, my tomatoes are looking good. I've got tomatoes, four plants, five plants under lights. They're, they're looking just really, really great. And uh, I, I'm bringing up plants that have been dormant all winter long, the, the amaryllis, and I have them starting to bloom, and that's looking good, too, as well. Okay, so, Barb, we are out of time. I'd say I think Barbara it can't like hear me. a really good gardening season. It does. Thank you, Barb. We are out of time, so i got to go, but you have a great rest of